sermons, we're talking about the right and duty scripturally to defend ourselves with arms and that this comes from God. My aim this morning is to provide some specific applications to our lives from the first two sermons in this series. So I want to encourage you to take some things home. The first sermon established the biblical foundation for this right and duty. The second, last week, addressed some of the common objections or questions to it. And so again, this sermon, I want to encourage you to take some steps, um, encourage you to, to consider going further in it. Um, one of the ironic things, if you were to study this issue, is in the places where Christians' lives are actually threatened for being Christian, you read things like the Nigerian bishop exhorting Christians, it's your duty to protect yourselves. Again, a bishop in Lebanon and Syria addressing after Islamic attacks and kidnappings says, I call on every young man who can take up arms to come forward for the sake of defending your brothers. And so it's really only in countries like ours where there isn't a threat, where we debate whether we have the right to defend from it. When a culture becomes soft, we begin to question whether or not we have the right to have and bear arms to protect ourselves. But where they don't have the right, they know that they do. So, Without sulfur and salt, Peter, there can be no freedom. This is true. And we'll see, uh, three weeks ago you saw the biblical truth of it. I encourage you to go back and check those out if you need to. Otherwise, let me, I want to read this text. I want to talk a bit about the discernment of it and then get into three, uh, and, uh, and then a quick theology, and then three applications, if I can. So Luke uh, 22, 35 to 39. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, But now, but now, times have changed, but now, let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said, it is enough. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your testimonies are wonderful. Please teach our souls how to keep them. Please open your word to us and part understanding because we are simple. Turn to us now by your Holy Spirit and graciously enable us to keep your, our, our steps according to your word. And may no sin have dominion over us. Please help us, O oh God. Make your faces shine upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke 22 here we see at the beginning of the chapter the plot to kill Jesus. This is right on the eve of his crucifixion. And these words are worthy of our attention and important for the subject matter. Jesus, in addressing the disciples, um, is urging them to understand the times and prepare likewise. Peter, just before this, has boasted of his courageous fidelity to the Lord. He's ready not only to go to prison, but into the grave for Jesus. And Jesus plainly tells Peter that in just a few hours, Peter, you'll deny me not once, not twice, but three times. 
Jesus then reminds them of God's faithful provision for them during the three years that Jesus was with them. On a few occasions, Jesus sent them out with nothing, and they lacked nothing. God provided for them. The world was with them. The, the people, they had favor among the people, and they were provided for, but not anymore. But now. But now. Times have changed very, very quickly. They no longer have the favor of the people. Now the people are going to be turning on their master, and so they can expect it. So take your money, take your knapsack. If you don't have a sword, it would be better to be cold than unarmed. Sell your cloak. It would be better to be open to the elements than unprotected. And then Jesus quotes from Isaiah 53, 12 as the reason for this admonishment to be prepared. For I tell you, the scriptures must be fulfilled to me, and then he quotes Isaiah, and he was numbered with the transgressors. That is, Jesus is about to suffer as a sinner, though not having sinned. So here's the gospel. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, so that we who are sinful can become the righteousness of God by faith. That's the gospel at the heart of it. Why does Jesus quote that here? What is going on here? Well, those who will be numbered with Jesus will be treated like Jesus is about to be treated. If you were going to be an ally of Jesus, if you were going to profess Jesus, you could expect the same treatment that he is about to get. He's going to be numbered as a transgressor. He's going to suffer the shameful, humiliating death on the cross in the place for sinners. And if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, you can expect to take up your cross as well. And so times have changed. He's a shepherd here concerned for his sheep. This, is, this should remind you of the great tenderness of God. Here is God in flesh telling his sheep, to be ready for what they're about to endure. He's telling them to be prepared. He cares for them. He's providing for them. Um, so they have the discernment. They're, they're to exercise discernment, to be prepared. Let one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Now, this isn't a mandate binding the conscience of every Christian to buy a gun. That would be a real overstatement. Rather, we should just simply receive the wisdom of our Lord, open our eyes to see what's going on around us, and like Boy Scouts, be prepared for life. My hope in these sermons is to encourage you in that sort of thinking, and and this morning to give you some practical applications toward the biblical and right duty to self-defense. Why? Well, because we love each other. And love includes the duty to protect and to be ready to protect. Now, I have, after preaching the first two sermons in the series, gotten tons of attaboys. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, and so as I said in the first sermon, I, I assumed I was preaching to the choir, and it seems I am. And so I think that's good, that's an encouragement. But again, the reason I wanted to preach this is because I knew that you guys mostly agreed, 
I don't know all, it's probably an overstatement, but agree that we have a right and duty to bear arms. But I wanted you to found that duty on Scripture. I do find that though we believe this duty, we're not necessarily convinced of it scripturally. So that was my goal and task. Secondly, as I said, I, I want to get ahead of this in our culture. Um, you're all familiar probably with Herman Melville. Um, what's the title of the book? Um, Moby Dick, yeah. In that book, it's a, it's a thoroughly Christian book, by the way. He says this early on in it. The world is a ship on its passage out, and the voyage is not yet complete, and the pulpit is its prow. Prow is the front part of the ship that cuts through the water. It's the leading part. Whatever the ship is going to go through, it goes through first. It leads the way. And he's lamenting that the pulpit in his day had become so weak that the ship was of our world is now aimless. The, the pulpit leads the world is his point. He, he actually says that early on in the quote. The pulpit leads the world. And so why do we now exist in a culture where the governor of our state has commenced a study group to study common sense gun control? Why is that even an allowable thing? Oh, it's the pastor's fault. Because we have believed a lie that Christianity should have nothing to do with politics. We won't preach the biblical right and duty and love to protect each other. And, and we know, because we have brains in our heads, that when anybody commences any kind of study group to study anything common sense, they're not actually studying it. It's a pretense to take action against the right that we have. And so it's the duty and, uh, of preachers to preach the biblical truth to help our people defend themselves against those who would do what God has given us. All right. So let me next, if I can, if you're following your sermon outline, I want us to think, we, we've thought about the right and duty to bear guns, but what is a gun in Scripture? What category would it follow under? Um, one of the fun little phrases that gun people own guns is the pew-pew, right? So this is the theology of the pew-pew. It's a little Christian play on words. You sit in pews. I get to have fun, too. That's my kind of fun. Um, all right, so how are we to think biblically about guns? The, the way to think biblically about a gun is a gun is a tool. And this goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. God told Adam and all mankind to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over it. That line, that mandate, is a mandate to have tools. You couldn't fulfill the mandate without tools. The very next thing you see in just a couple chapters after this is uh, people creating tools. They, they make instruments for music. They make tools for agriculture. Why? Because God has deeply embedded it in us to exercise dominion over the world, and that would take tools. The most impressive early technology that needed incredible tools was an ark. The ark was massive. It was half the length of an aircraft carrier. It had to float. It had to work. 
And Noah was an incredible craftsman. He had tools and he used them. And if we're going to live in this world, this fallen world, to protect from evil, we're going to need the right tools to do so. God has given us dominion over this world. He tells us to work and keep this world. Keeping is protecting. And so we'll need tools to do that. We'll need the weapons to do that. So that's the biblical category under which to put a gun. And you see throughout Scripture that this is encouraged. Abraham armed his household to rescue and protect those abducted by their enemies. David was armed and practiced and skilled the use of a lethal slingshot such that he could hit a man square in the forehead and kill him in protecting God's people. That was exercising dominion over the world. That was working and keeping the garden. And so that's the way to think about a gun. Guns are like any other tools. They are good gifts of God to be used wisely to fulfill the mandate that God has given us. They're necessary. And we have a God-given right and duty to use them. But like all tools given by God, they can be corrupted and used in ungodly ways. This is why there's a saying, guns aren't the problem, man is. And that's exactly right. We're fallen, and so you and I, I'm not talking about the world out there, you and I, you... We have a tendency to blame the tool, don't we? When your computer's not working. Right? Or when you're working with wood and something doesn't, you blame the tool. It's the tool's fault. We do this with alcohol. Right? It's not the heart of man, it's the substance. If we just get rid of alcohol, not, it's, not, it's not the alcohol, it's not the tool. It's not the substance, it's our hearts. It's not my fault, it's the teacher. It's not my kid's fault, it's the coach. And we always want to blame something or someone outside of us. It's not the lust in my heart, it's the easy access pornography on my phone. I should just get rid of my phone. That might be a wise step, but it's not the phone's fault. And so we need to see all of these things as good gifts of God to be used wisely and righteously for His glory, and that includes guns. Guns are just a tool. So we have to take personal responsibility for it, and that's what I want to urge you to do in this sermon. That's going to be the main point of this sermon. Is take responsibility. Know the times that you are living in, and take responsibility wisely for the protection of the people you love in this world. Now, one last thing before we get into the application as I said early on, I, I think I know you fairly well in our church, and I'm very encouraged by you in this regard. You all take this issue of protecting each other very seriously, and I don't mean that jokingly. It's wonderful. It is a good gift of God that you take serious the protection of your wives and children and church and workplace and so on. Um, I don't want to go into detail here. That probably wouldn't be helpful, but... I, I mean, I mean, I'm just as encouraged that you're raising your children to do the same. That'll be one of the applications. You should teach your children, just like you teach them how to swim so they don't drown. Teach them how to shoot a gun and use it wisely. It's part of our discipleship. So I'm, I'm glad for this in you. Good job. Keep it up. So a couple applications to this. The first application is what should always be first. Seek the kingdom of God. Guns, like all things, can become a little God. 
they can be tempted to idolatry. It is good for us to take our right and duty to protect ourselves with godly seriousness, but let's take our communion with the Lord much more seriously and much more joyfully. Um, there is, it is infinitely more important in our you that you are ready for heaven than that you carry a gun in our you. Are you as concerned with your soul and its eternal destination as you are with shooting or with ballistics? And so, above all, because I love you, take much more care to seek the Lord with all of you, all that you are rather than your next purchase or your next training. So fathers and mothers, I urge you to do for your children this as well. They will go where you go. What you love, they'll love. What you express most affection for and praise of is what they will love. And so love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength first. Now, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is not separate or opposite than arming yourself. I think those second flows out of the first. But it can't hurt to remind you. And one of the practical applications, we looked at this text twice in the first two sermons. I'll look at it again. We don't have to turn there. It's Nehemiah 4. Before arming, before setting a guard, we read that Nehemiah prayed. The, the, the line says, we prayed and we set a guard. We prayed and we put a swords on our hips. We cannot trust our guns, but we trust our Lord. And so Pray. You and I are welcome before God's throne to pray. Make the protection of yourself and your loved ones a priority of your prayers. Pray for protection. You see prayers for protection all throughout Scripture. And and by praying for protection here, I don't only mean for protection from physical harm, but protection from sin and temptation. The greatest threat in your life isn't a gunman. It's temptation to evil and sin, isn't it? And you know your hearts. If I can call in young men here particularly, what we need more from young men more than anything is some zeal for God. Some manly zeal for the Lord God in heaven. I'd encourage you to get into the Old Testament, young men. Read First and Second Samuel, First and Second King, and look at these men. Look at David and Jonathan. <laughs> Look at how they rejoice in their strength and in their godliness and their friendship and their weapons of warfare. Young men, you are needed desperately in the church. The young girls in our church are going to need you greatly. You grow up to be strong, godly, wise men who are aggressive. So we need you. The second application is to count the cost. Luke 14:28. whatever we do, the wisdom of going ahead and thinking about the costs associated with what we're doing. So here what we're talking about is having guns and wearing them for protection. And so what might costs, what, what costs might you experience in this that go beyond the financial one? The first one is, what we're talking about here is the possibility of having to use a weapon to take uh, the life of another human being created in God's image. 
We've seen in Scripture, this is something that we have a right and duty to do. It's a godly task, but that's a cost. Are you willing to end the life of somebody who would end the life of those that you love and are put here to protect? Are you considering the mental and psychological burden that comes with this, the spiritual burden? Taking the life of another, being willing to take the life of another has a high cost associated with it. It's serious. So have you considered that? Second, there are considerable legal issues around this. There is a good book, a helpful resource on this. It's called The Law of Self-Defense by Andrew Bronca. If you would like some more information, I would encourage you to check it out. The Law of Self-Defense by Andrew Bronca. And he goes through all of the various legal um, ramifications with carrying a weapon for self-protection. Let me just list you some of the chapter headings. That that if you were to have to use a a weapon in self-defense, you are going to be walked away in handcuffs. And they are going to look very hard with great scrutiny at your actions. They're going to ask questions like, was the threat imminent? Was the force you used proportional to the threat? Did the length of the force that you used match the length of the threat against you? Could you have retreated? Was your force reasonable? Were you defending others or yourself or just property? Was your force reasonable? Did you de-escalate the situation or did you escalate it? When you take on the responsibility on yourself, you are taking on a very heavy legal burden. And so you need to be aware of this. Um, most police officers, especially the ones in our church, are our friends. They work very hard and doing a great job. But in this book that I read on this, uh, they had gathered lots and lots of lawyers and had a roundtable discussion about this. And one of the things the lawyers said that was striking was they cannot remember a time where speaking to the police openly about your use of a firearm helped you. And so he encourages very careful what you might say. I'm just saying that all to say you've got to count the cost legally here. A third cost is financial. You'll need to purchase guns and ammo and cleaning supplies. You'll need targets and eye and ear protection. You might make use of a, a gun range. You'll need practice. It's an investment. Guns are typically a good investment. They don't depreciate much, but what is the, what's the cost you're going to incur here financially? Budget. Now, you've got to compare that against what's the cost of not being protected. Right. Fourth, there is a stigma attached to this. And you talk about being, having and carrying guns, there's a significant percentage of our, of our country, it's, it's much stronger than 50s friend, I think you're just a rube. Right? They, they kind of look down on you. If you have a family with a lot of kids, you've experienced this. This kind of small shaming. Oh, you've got a lot on your hands. Right? Somebody who's... Anyways, it's a cost. You're going to be looked down as some kind of ignoramus. And if you would just become more woke. Right. So there's that. 
Another application is if you're going to do this, you're taking on the responsibility to learn to do it well. Going back to the analogy of a tool. If you're going to invest in tools and do something, you've got to learn how to use them well. You've got to be skillful. All throughout the Bible, those who are skillful in the use of the tools given are praised. So there comes with carrying a gun for self-protection the duty to train and practice. You can't carry a concealed weapon in our state without a license. And to obtain the license, you're required to take a class. We have instructors in this church willing to offer them. I've talked to Scott and Diane Jacobson, asked permission to draw your attention to their training. Um, they don't do it in the winter because you can go outside and shoot at their gun range and it's cold. And so they'll start it up again sometime early June. You can talk to them. They typically have stuff posted out there to do it. I would encourage you to take their training. It's excellent. Uh, there are books, online videos, courses galore. If you want to go and practice, you go down to Wausau to the gun range and practice if you want. But if you're going to do this well, you ought to take on yourself to be trained. You ought to do it. If we go back to David uh, in, in the Old Testament, in the Scripture, um, there is a, a time where uh, he, he kills Goliath and Jonathan sees who this guy is. And Don, Jonathan is a skillful warrior. Jonathan knows how to end the life of another human being skillfully. He is very skilled in the protection. He sees David, and they become kindred spirits because they're both really good at this. It's because they've trained. David, it seems, first practiced on lions and bears. <laughs> Get your sons and daughters out with a twenty-two and teach them how to shoot a squirrel and how to clean it and how to cook it. Right? Teach them how to shoot. Teach them how to shoot. You never thought you'd hear that in church, did you? You're in a good church to hear something like that, I think. Um, this is why early on in our country, many, all of our colonies and states had laws not only requiring gun ownership, but requiring practice. Right? Another part of this is safety. So moms, kids aren't going to shoot their eyes out. Um, but our kids need to learn how to do this safely. It's with all things. They need to learn how to swim safely. They need to learn how to drive a car safely. They need to use how to uh, take a weapon that can end the life of another human being and use it very safely. And the best way to do that is to teach them how to do it. Show them how to do it. Take training. Take practice. A gun, again, is given as a tool by God to fulfill the mandate he has given us, to fill the earth and subdue it and exercise dominion over it. Since a gun is, is a tool, one of the ways that we use it godly is to get better at the use of it. So training and practice, that would be another application here. I'm going to close the sermon. But this, this is a, an issue of maturity before the Lord. What I mean there is it's serious. The use of guns to protect ourselves and the potential of taking a human life is weighty. It's a point of maturity. Christian maturity in Scripture is mainly measured by how you treat others. It, it isn't often measured by how much you know about the Bible 
how many verses you can spot off, if you know the order of the books of the Bible or the order of the kings of the Bible. It's by how you treat others, how you care for others. And that's where this issue falls under. One thing to consider is there are others who think differently than us. By us here, there might be people in our church. I want to include you in this. Now, the Bible lovingly, okay, I'm going to use scriptural words in Romans 14. The, The biblical teaching on the right and duty to own weapons is clear. It is encouraged. If, a, if you won't take this step to protect others and some harm comes to them and you're not doing what you needed to do in order to protect them, it's wrong in the Bible. The Bible says if you won't take care of those of your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever. Right? But there are those who think differently, who see it differently. And the Bible gently okay, calls them weak in faith. Their consciences, for whatever reason, are not yet able to live in this freedom that God gives us. And so there is sincere believers, godly men and women, who in this area are weak in conscience. And so how will you treat them? Will you separate yourself from them? Will you look down on them? I am not here saying that you shouldn't arm yourself because of their consciences, but neither am I, but what I am urging you to is not let your opinion, not let your right and duty cause you to dismiss others, but to bear with them kindly, to discuss this with them, to try to teach them and gently persuade them, not separate over this issue. Also, as we stated in the previous two sermons, this biblical reality of the calling to protect others and the use of a weapon goes far beyond the use of guns. It, it, it goes to spiritual concerns, emotional concerns, concerns with the provision of what those in our household needs to our tenderness. Does your wife know that you are concerned enough for her well-being that you have a gun to protect her? But even more so, do you pray with her and for her? Does your family know that they're financially protected because you're self-controlled and wise and generous in your use of finances. Sometimes we might be tempted to be very selfish and buy all of the things that we want, all our own toys and all of our own guns, but neglect the wardrobe of our wife or the education of our children. Are we protecting those in our lives from relationships that might harm them? Are we inviting media into our home that is not only unhelpful but ungodly? Are we protecting each other from teaching that is worldly and opposed to the things of God? And again, this all boils down to love. That's what we're talking about here. We have been loved generously by a God in the sending of His Son. And we are to love God in return by loving our neighbors. And we love our neighbors best when we're willing to protect them in many ways. And so this call to the right and duty to protect yourself by arming yourself should be done with sincerity and in love. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your help in thinking biblically about this. We ask for your help in being patient and kind with those who might disagree.
But God, we also pray for your encouragement to do this well, to practice, to take on ourselves the weight of doing this well for your glory. But God, help us to consider this issue of protection in many ways, not just in the ways of guns, but neither less than that. And so God, give us wisdom in this and discernment. Please help us and please protect us. In Jesus' name, amen.